1: The big NATO summit starts today, and with it comes a brand new narrative that they would love to impose upon us. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. Top story today. Which tech billionaire has the bigger penis? I'm kidding, obviously, that's not the top story. But if you want my opinion, lizards, which most people assume Zuckerberg is, probably don't have very big penises. I'm guessing I've never actually gotten in the, in the mud and flipped over a bunch of geckos and gotten out the magnifying glass to do an examination myself. I just think it's safe to assume that they're probably very tiny. Although, if we accept the assumption that Zuckerberg is in fact a lizard, he's not just any lizard. He's a shape-shifting lizard, which means he can probably form his wand into any size he wants. I, however, do not believe that Zuckerberg is a lizard, I believe he's a robot, which means he probably doesn't have any genitalia at all. His crotch probably looks like the crotch of a naked Ken doll. Except metallic. As for Elon, I've just always kind of assumed that he had his removed a long time ago and replaced it with a self-driving EPP, electric-powered penis. I have no idea how big those are. I just know that you can disable them by placing an orange cone on them. I did read in Forbes magazine that He was originally going to go with an SPP, solar-powered penis, but he wanted something that could work indoors. Solar's just not great for a lot of things. Okay, so that was the stupid yet mildly entertaining story from Elon Musk yesterday. Now let's talk about the actual top story of the day, which on the surface might seem very serious and different from that Elon Musk story. But in actuality, is just another dick-measuring contest story, except this one is it between two socially awkward tech billionaires. It's between nations. And of course, what I'm talking about is the thing that's been dominating the news over the weekend and so far into this week. The big NATO summit that President Biden is at today in Lithuania, where the focus of conversation will be on Ukraine's potential membership into the NATO club, which would have an impact not only on its war with Russia, but also on ours and NATO's potential increased involvement in that war. Okay, so as you all know, with stories like this that get an obnoxious amount of media attention, I like to ask the question, why are they showing this to us? Why is the media focusing so heavily on it? Why do they so desperately want us to care about this thing? And I believe the answer to that question is because at the summit, Biden, as a representative of all Americans, mind you, is probably going to be making some sort of pledge to Ukraine one that extends well beyond mere words and a handshake, a promise, actually, a promise that we will codify into law America's long-term commitment to providing them with military weapons aid, regardless of who wins the 2024 election, a commitment that cannot be reversed by the next president if the next president is not Joe Biden. And in order to fulfill a pledge like this, Biden is going to need approval from Congress, which is a lot easier to get if he first has the approval of enough of the American people, if public opinion is on his side. That's why they want us to see this story. That's why they so badly want us to care about it. And that's why they want us talking about it. They need our support to make their agenda happen. And the way they're trying to win that support and sway public opinion in their favor is by propagating to us this new narrative around the question of Ukraine aid or reframing the national debate around that question is maybe a better way to put it. The old debate that we were previously having focused on the central question of, do you or do you not support sending military aid to Ukraine? This is a question Americans have been getting asked for the past year in various public polls, and many of them due in large part to Tucker Carlson expressing alternative media views on Fox. An increasing number of Americans became skeptical about or even opposed to sending that aid to ukraine they wanted to know answers to questions like why are our tax dollars being sent being spent on uh fighting a proxy war with russia instead of solving domestic problems here at home or questions like why are we arming a military that relies on nazis to do its fighting or the question of is joe biden leading us headfirst blindly into World War III. All very valid questions. The new debate that they're trying to currently mainstream right now with this coverage of the NATO summit eliminates all of those questions, just gets rid of them, throws them out the window, they're gone. And what it does instead is it implicitly presumes as a starting point that all of the skepticism around Ukraine aid is gone. It's been solved, and everyone in America now just agrees that we all must stand in solidarity with Ukraine and give them whatever they need to defeat Russia in Russia's war of aggression. They do not even want the questioning of why we are giving so much aid to Ukraine to be part of the conversation anymore at all, because if it is, it makes it a lot harder for them to get the public support they need to get congressional approval, to codify a multi-year commitment to sending even more weapons packages to Ukraine for the foreseeable future, that's why Tucker's Show was always going to be removed once he started sounding more like an alternative media conspiracy theorist, like a lot of us. I mean, it was always going to be gone once that happened. They were not going to continue to allow a, a debate to uh, to happen in the in the mainstream where one side was arguing against sending weapons packages to Ukraine. That that simply was not going to be allowed because it can't. It's not an acceptable position to have, and with that position and all of that problematic skepticism and critique off of the table in their minds, or they would have us believe anyway, they are now trying to reframe the national conversation and make the public debate about what they would have us believe are the only two options that we have regarding the question of Ukraine. And you can see this all over the media. It's consistent. It's coordinated. It's blatant. The first of those only two options that they would have us believe that America and NATO has when it comes to the question of Ukraine is to fast track Ukraine's membership into NATO, because this would provide them with the ultimate security and defense that they need right now against Russia and that they will need in the future. However, one small problem with that choice, which Biden expressed during his CNN interview on Sunday, is if Ukraine were to become a NATO member while the war was still ongoing, then because of NATO's attack on one of us is an attack on all of us policy, the second they join NATO, we and every other NATO member country would suddenly find ourselves in a hot war with Russia. World War III would basically be kicked off, and the door would be opened for American troops to be sent over to fight and die in Ukraine. I mean, it's interesting logic or an interesting argument there that the best way to give Ukraine the most security is by triggering World War III. I don't know. Either way, it doesn't really sound like a great choice. It sounds awful, actually, like something that no American outside Lindsey Graham would ever want or anybody in most countries would ever want, which is exactly why Biden made a point to focus attention on that possibility during his CNN Sunday interview. This is the process of reframing right here, presenting the awful of the only two options we have right up alongside the option that they want us to accept. Because it doesn't look so bad in comparison. Here's the commander in chief himself launching the national reframing propaganda campaign. I don't think there is unanimity in NATO
0: about whether or not to bring Ukraine into the NATO family now, at this moment, in the middle of a war. For example, if you did that, then you know, we I and I mean what I say, we're we're determined to commit every inch of Territory that is NATO territory. It's a commitment that we've all made no matter what. If the war is going on, then we're all in war. You know, we're in war with Russia if that were the case. So I think we have to lay out a path for the rational path for Russia, for excuse me, for Ukraine to be able to qualify to get into NATO. And we have, when the very first time, I met with Putin two years ago in Geneva, and he said, I want commitments on no Ukraine uh, and NATO. I said, we're not going to do that because it's an open-door policy. We're not going to shut anybody out. NATO is a process that takes some time to meet all the qualifications, and from democratization to a whole range of other issues. So in the meantime, though, I've spoken with Zelensky at length about this. And uh, one of the things I indicated is the United States would be ready to provide while the process was going on, and it's going to take a while, while that process was going on, to provide security, a la the security we provide for you, for Israel, providing the weaponry, the
1: needs, the capacity to defend themselves. Okay, so what Biden was doing there is doing a couple of things. One, he was demonstrating to us what this new national conversation, this new debate, looks and sounds like. And he wasn't the only one doing it. There are a lot of people involved. He was just the figurehead used to launch the propaganda campaign. Members of Congress, John Kirby, various political pundits, they have all been out there demonstrating the exact same message framing of this debate across all of the major networks since last week, well into today, definitely. And panel discussions were had on every one of the Sunday shows that included pundits who represented both sides of this debate to model... To the American people, how we are supposed to think and talk about this subject, the parameters of thought and conversation. This is how they control how people think about subjects like this. What he was also doing there in presenting these possibilities is what I was talking about a little while ago. He was letting the American people know, hey, we have two choices here. Here's the first one. That one's pretty awful, right? No one wants that choice so that he could turn right around and present that alternative option of giving Ukraine that special Israel treatment he mentioned or referenced where we not only continue to provide weapons to Ukraine, we do what I talked about at the top of the show a few minutes ago. We codify long-term multi-year military aid to Ukraine into law. He didn't say that part in the interview here, but those are the implications of what he's talking about and what is probably going to happen at the summit today or tomorrow. And that, that, that idea, that option, turning it into a law that can't be so easily reversed, That goes well beyond what we've already been doing with uh, uh, weapons packages to Ukraine. I mean, not even close. And if that were presented to the American people in isolation, many Americans would quickly stand up and at the very least criticize and question it. Many would oppose it outright, which is exactly why it had to be presented alongside the much, much worse option that if chosen would trigger World War III, making this one not seem so bad in comparison. So that's it. That's what they're doing. That's the new narrative that they're out there propagating, that uh, they're trying to use to win public support for something that is worse than the already currently bad policy that many Americans don't like that's in place right now. It's quite a, a neat little trick that they're trying, isn't it? Trying to get people to support a new policy that's actually worse than an already disliked current policy by trying to convince them that doing so is the only way to prevent World War III from breaking out. Bravo, guys, with your stupid little messaging campaign right there. And what's really funny about all of this is the way they're presenting Biden as the hero of this, this new narrative, as him being the only guy right now that is preventing NATO from plunging us into a hot war with Russia. Because they're telling us that he and Germany are the only two ones in NATO who do not want to choose that first option of expediting Ukraine's entry into the club leading to the hot war. They're all just begging for World War III. Thank goodness we have old Joe in there, bringing some level-headedness to the table. You know, for all of us, am I right? Well, what a joke that is. Biden, as the reasonable one of the group, dead set on maintaining peace, uh, are, are you serious here? The guy whose administration has given more weapons to Ukraine than any other NATO member— Double and triple, many of them, maybe even more. That guy, That's the guy who, who's holding the peace right now. The guy who just last week approved giving child-murdering cluster bombs to Ukraine, a, a weapon that most of the other NATO member states all signed an international agreement promising to never use. He's the one that they would have us believe is the only thing stopping a hot war from breaking out. I mean, if you're going to go big, go big. And it's a bold narrative. I'll, I'll give him that. Ironically, and I hate to say this, but... It's what all of this is. This is classic uh, war propaganda, consensus-building war propaganda. Leading up to every uh, war, critical questions about international policy in the overall narrative surrounding it uh, are suppressed, and they are replaced with by what those in power hope will be unifying war propaganda that stirs up war fervor. Biden is not trying to prevent a hot war with Russia. He and NATO, in my opinion are trying to make it look like that if a hot war breaks out, that it is Russia and only Russia who is solely responsible for triggering it. Because as we all know, it's much easier to get public support for a defensive war than it is an offensive war. Uh, oh, and listen out for this phrase, which you're going to hear a lot of this week and probably ongoing. Ukraine's ascension into NATO. Listen, listen for that phrase. Their ascension into NATO as though they're ascending into like a legion of gods or something. Uh, Barf. Real quick, a little bit more on that uh, so-called Israel option that Biden referenced. Israel's not in NATO. They are, however, what is known as a major non-NATO ally, which is a designation that the U.S. government gives allies that aren't in NATO, but who have strategic working relationships with the U.S. military. So it's basically like a friends with benefits situation going on where they get many of the same benefits as NATO countries without having to officially be a member. And here are some of the benefits that those friends get and that Ukraine would possibly get if they become a major non-NATO ally or something similar. Entry into cooperative research and development projects with the Department of Defense on a shared cost basis, participation in certain counterterrorism initiatives, Purchase of depleted uranium anti-tank rounds. Priority delivery of military surplus ranging from military rations to ships. Possession of war reserve stocks of Department of Defense-owned equipment that are kept outside of American military bases. Loans of equipment and materials for cooperative research and development projects and evaluations. Permissions to use American financing for the purchase or lease of certain defense equipment. Reciprocal training expedited export processing of space technology, and permission for the country's corporations to bid on certain Department of Defense contracts for the repair and maintenance of military equipment outside of the United States. And here's what the Wall Street Journal had to say about that possible status for Ukraine. They say that it's a model that would ensure Ukraine's security by focusing on supplies of weapons and cutting-edge technology, while at the same time keeping NATO from having to officially join the war. Which feels like really stupid logic to me to suggest that we would basically be giving Ukraine or treating Ukraine exactly like we would treat them if they were in, in NATO, but without giving them the label, as though it is the label itself and not the actions being taken that are what is likely to trigger war. Here's what the Financial Times had to say earlier today about what they expect might happen at the summit. They said that NATO member countries are likely to adapt a multilateral declaration containing individual pledges of each state aimed at codifying existing military supplies to Kiev, providing guarantees for training of Ukrainian troops and for intelligence sharing and assistance in defense policy reforms. So yeah, that's what we've been talking about. All right, one more thing here on the subject, and this does echo some of what we've been discussing, but it gives a a bit of a more complete picture, I think, of how our politicians probably really think about the, the Ukraine war and what we're going to be doing moving forward. This is from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. It says, in a section titled, A Wartime Compact and Beyond. Zelensky and numerous Ukrainian officials have suggested that Ukraine could replicate Israel's security model with a capable army, a dynamic industrial base, a skillful intelligence apparatus, a strategic culture centered on self-defense, and a multifaceted relationship with the United States. A multilateral security arrangement for Ukraine based on this model is not a far-fetched idea, although there are important differences, not least of which is the fact that Israel, unlike Ukraine, has nuclear weapons and does not face aggression by a nuclear superpower. The right formula for such a future security agreement, as one European diplomat has said, needs to be less than Article 5, but more than the Budapest Memorandum. This might seem like a tough needle to thread, But the Kiev security compact that Ukraine's government issued in September 2022 provides a helpful point of departure for discussions. It envisions a core group of partners committing to a multi-decade effort to support Ukraine's development of a robust territorial defense posture, including by training and equipping its forces, investing in its defense industry and enhancing its intelligence capabilities. The KSC is a change from previous Ukrainian requests that partners commit to sending troops or imposing a no-fly zone, both of which were non-starters in the United States and Europe. The U.S. and Europe must further develop this framework, incorporating lessons from the U.S.'s relationship with Israel and other countries who are not the U.S.'s treaty allies. A credible arrangement should be based on the following five principles. Number 1. Strong political and legal codification that ensures the arrangement will endure regardless of electoral cycles and leadership changes in the U.S. and Europe. So essentially, it must include a provision that takes power away from future elected leaders, which takes power away from the people who elect them. So this is a power grab stealing power away from the American voter. Number two, a predictable multi-year pipeline for military supplies that enables Ukraine to plan and sustain a future force structure capable of deterring Russian aggression. Number three. Support for Ukraine's defense industry, as well as targeted defense industrial investments in the United States and Europe to prepare for a long war and an extended period of Ukrainian military reconstitution. Military-industrial complex worldwide, baby. Number four, mechanisms for political consultations, information sharing, and coordination to ensure that Ukraine's military needs are met in a timely fashion. Wouldn't want to make Zelensky wait. And last but not least, clear linkage to Ukraine's EU ascension process and post-war reconstruction. Which we already know is uh, intended to turn them into the world's first fully EU government using that DIA app. So there you have it. There's Biden's big week that they want us all thinking about, talking about, caring about, getting invested in, having arguments with each other about. It's just a big crock of shit. You know? That's all it is. Personally, I think we'd all be better served with more stories about which tech billionaire has a bigger fake dick. All right, that's where I'm going to wrap up this segment for now because I want to go ahead and get it published before some of this stuff starts happening at the NATO summit. I am coming back this afternoon with more segments as well as some subscriber LA bonus content. So look out for that and I'll talk to you a little later on. Have a fantastic rest of your morning.